Good morning, friends. Welcome back. I'm very excited because for the next six verses, we are going to be talking about something that's very important to all of us. I think you'll be excited also. Um, Lou, I hope uh, you give me your comments and helpful guidance yes. as always. So I'm looking forward I to can this. make this. Yeah, I'm looking so, forward to these verses. You've been you've been setting them up for an episode now, so I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. Um, it basically talks about how we can conduct our life's activities in such a way as to dedicate them towards our goal of improves, improving ourselves. Yes, the ultimate goal for all of us is to become self-realized. But I don't think it's going to happen for 99.99% of us in this lifetime that's uh, here in this world. And those who are are up in the Himalayas, they're not listening to this <laughs> Facebook page anyway. Um, so, uh, you know, this is very important for us just in terms of our own self-development. So let's start with this. Verse 25. To clean a vessel, you let's say you have a pot, right? Right. Yep. That's got maybe some milk in it that was not heated. It's fairly easy to clean. You just hold it under water, running water, and you use your hand, you just wipe it. It's clean because the milk comes right off. Right. But if you fried something in it, something, you know, has stuck to it, got burned. Yeah. You can't just put it under water. You need not only the water, you need something harsh, a scrubbing brush. You need something like Ajax or Comet. Then you used to need muscle to remove it. Right. So our body, our mind, our thoughts, our desires, think of it this way, that there are certain things that we can do easily, that we can just get rid of. Right. Just with willpower, for instance. And there are other things that you need that Ajax, you need that comet, you need that harsh scrubbing brush, and you need muscle. Pay attention here because this is, to me, it was fascinating when I first heard about it. So verse 26 says, it doesn't say to clean a vessel you need uh, Ajax <laughs> or comet. Verse 26 says, some yogis perform sacrifice to the gods with a plural. Hmm. Others perform sacrifice by offering sacrifice itself. So let's break that into two portions. Yes. Let's take the first one. Some yogis. Uh, who's a yogi? A yogi is someone who's aspiring to become self-realized. Some yogis perform sacrifice to the gods. Now, we know this is a confusing aspect to many people who are not, including Hindus, who don't understand that... Um, the scriptures, our sages, munis, rishis always said that Hinduism only has one main entity that is considered a god. Mm -hmm. It's a monotheistic religion. This god, as we look upon it, him, her, is a force. It's not an individual, not right. in the shape of a man or a woman. It's a force like electricity, life, we call it, or consciousness, mm -hmm. or existence, sat. Chit, Anand, those are the three, existence, consciousness, and bliss. That Satchit Anand, that Brahman, is God. No shape, right? right. Just yep. consciousness everywhere. Um, if there is only one God, 
then why does Hinduism have a thousand different gods with plural? Right. One god is uh, called Ganesh with a trunk, head of an elephant. Another goddess is Lakshmi with four arms, gold pouring down one hand and silver coming down, this wealth. So as Swami Parthasarthi has written very nicely in his book that's an explanation of symbolism, he explained that we want to tell our children, grandchildren, the population, listen, no matter what you do, always have a higher ideal. Think of God when you're doing something. Doesn't work. When a businessman, he's got his mind focused on just making money, all he con conceives of is what's going out and what's coming in. How right. much money am I losing? How much money am I getting? And what I'm getting should be more than what's going out. That's all he's thinking about. You're going to tell him to think about God. He's going to say, listen, I'm thinking I just spent a million dollars in buying this material. I want to sell it for more than a million. You're telling me to think of God. Right. So what the ancient rishis, munis, sages did was wherever the mind went, they planted a God over there. So if there was wealth that you were thinking about constantly, it's okay. Goddess of wealth is Lakshmi. Right. You want wealth? Think of Lakshmi and wealth will come to you. Now, that doesn't really work, right? Nobody, just because you think of Lakshmi, you're not going to get money. Just because you think of Ganesh, you're not going to get right. wisdom. You have to work at it. But at least by doing this, those people got the humanity to close their eyes and pray and saying, Lakshmi, please, I pray to you, please let money come to me. What, is he, what have they accomplished? They've accomplished somebody trying to get people to pray and think of God. So there's a million gods with a plural like that. So he says in this verse, some yogis perform sacrifice to the gods. Now you say, wait a second, these are yogis. These are smart people. Right. They know there are no gods. They know there's only one god. So how come they perform sacrifice to the gods? Now, what exactly does sacrifice to the gods mean? It means doing a daily puja. For those who are Hindus, they will understand what I'm saying. But those who are not, you or who are born and brought up in United States and whose family no longer does these sacrifices or pujas, they may not understand. But when I was growing up, I was taught and I saw my elders doing this. Every day, a large percentage of time was spent sitting in front of these various idols. Ganesh with the head of an elephant or another god, goddess. They had either photographs or pictures or idols or murtis, statues. Then the person would bathe, take a long shower, clean himself, wear silk around him so it was clean, not dirty clothes, doesn't touch anybody, goes and sits down, cleans the entire area, gets whatever he needs to before he sits down, fruits, vegetables, uh, light oil to light cotton wick, lights the fire, mm -hmm. incense, prays, then takes off each little murti, cleans it, bathes it, washes it, gives it, puts flowers on it, dresses it with cloth on it. Actually, as if a girl, a little girl or boy would play with dolls, you know, dressing it, right. praying to it, talking to it, then does the prayer, gives the offering of food, then partakes in the food, shares it with his family. It takes a long time, maybe an hour or more. But at the end of it, he feels, he gets up from there, says, I'm going about my daily business, wakes up at five o'clock before he has to go to work, does this puja. 
and then says, okay, now he feels less anxious, he feels more confident, he's going to work, he goes off with it. What has happened is he's done a sacrifice, as in this verse number 25. He's done a sacrifice to the gods. Since he is a trader, he's done a sacrifice to the goddess of, of wealth and says, please, let this could be a good day. Somebody who's a student says to Saraswati or Ganesh says, please, let me do well in my exam. He's focused on that. And the analogy that I heard, which was a good one, is to say when your wife goes away and she's got this garden of vegetables and flowers and fruits outside. And she says, listen, I'm going for a week to my mother's house and you stay here and you take care of these mm -hmm. vegetables and fruits and stuff. When I come back, I don't want them die dead. Right. You say, oh, man, I wish I didn't have to do that. But you go out, you tend to the flowers, you water it, you make sure that there's no insect, you use whatever you have to do to get rid of it. And at the end of one week, what happens? When your wife comes back, you don't say, oh, you know what, now it's your business. You have developed some right. kind of an attachment to those flowers, and you're wondering how they're doing. Right. Has, has a bud come about? Is a fruit growing? You're happy about that. By taking this action, sorry about this long analogy, friends, but it's necessary to understand why we do this puja. By taking that one week of effort to take care of those fruits, vegetables, flowers, plants, You've developed an attachment to them, and now you're more concerned about their well-being. Right. Similarly, when you just pray sitting inside with, a, with nothing there, you can't because you're not that well-developed. I'm not that well-developed. We aren't. You can't get to the point where you say, I'm now able to pray to God. By doing these sacrifices, you get to another level. And that's what the effect is of that puja. So that's what it means when you say some yogis perform sacrifice to the gods um, and you get rid of your fear, you're more confident, you appreciate the world by doing that. That's a level towards that sacrifice and uh, commitment and service. The second asp number of uh, this yagna is others perform sacrifice by offering sacrifice itself, which means that the, imagine you're a wave in this ocean. Remember we said that Brahman is like the ocean and we as a wave is a small little Atman, small wave. When the wave says, I'm going to commit myself to offering myself back to the ocean and the ocean wave merges back into the ocean, becomes one with the ocean water, he has sacrificed himself not by killing. I'm not talking about killing oneself or sacrificing that way. Right. But by oblation, by, by giving yourself in your sacrifice in terms of your duties, your mind, your going towards a higher ideal, service and sacrifice, you're sacrificing your entire being, your duties, your life, your service to the higher ideal of Brahman. And he says, by doing that, you're giving a yajna. Now, what is yajna? This is very, very important for the next 12 um, verses that we're going to be, next six verses where 12 yagnas we're going to be talking about. We have talked about yagna before, but I will go through it again in brief. Yagna was a ritual that was designed 5,000 or more years ago, where the community got together 
some priests got together. They built a huge square fire uh, pit outside, mm -hmm. and the whole community came, and the priests would say prayers. And the ultimate thing was that everybody brought from their home something or the other that they were to put into the fire that would make the fire keep going. Mm -hmm. Now, there are some fires that today are still going on from thousands of years ago. Really? Yeah. yeah. They have just like the torch of Olympus. Yeah. You know, they keep going and they run for miles with that torch and bring it to the Olympic Stadium. There is, There are fires, at least one that I know of, that has gone on for like thousands of years and it is never to be extinguished. Somebody or the other, that families are just dedicated to make sure that this fire just continues on and on and on. Similarly, each person comes from the community and brings either butter or oil or wood or some offering, rice, grain, wheat. Um, and when they come, they don't put it all in the fire at the same time. They put it in a big pile on the side, in a corner somewhere. Whatever they bring, they put. Nobody says, oh, Mr. Brown, okay, come in. What did you bring? You brought two pounds of butter? Okay, put it in. Nobody takes uh, an inventory of right. that. Yep. Whatever you bring, you know what you brought. Whatever you therefore put into the fire, only you know how much you put in. Nobody else knows and nobody else cares. Nobody says, well, he didn't put as much as I put. I put four pounds of butter. He only put one pound of butter. Right. Everything goes in that corner and is put there, and everybody is doing this jointly. And then the priest says, okay, come forward, take something from the corner. Whether it belongs to you or not, you just take it and you put it into the fire. What happens? When you put a cup full of butter in that fire, the fire shoots up. And... You say, oh, wow, the fire has accepted my offering. And ultimately, the fire starts to die down, and the priest takes the uh, ashes from the fire and puts three stripes across your forehead, and then you go to a nearby temple and you pray. What that signifies is that the entire community, as a cooperative effort, has done something. They've made a sacrifice towards a common goal, which was to keep the fire going, by putting in the butter, that was their sacrifice, that was their, right. what is known as an ahuti, an offering. And then there was the kindling of the fire. The fire shot up means the ahuti, the offering was accepted and there was a result. Mm -hmm. That then burned because it was a cooperative effort. Everybody got together. There was unity among the community. Everybody did it cooperatively uh, and everybody's happy. The desires get burnt off. So those three stripes mean the body, mind, and intellect is being under control. The vasanas are being, three represent so many different things. The waking state, right. the uh, dreaming state, the uh, deep sleep state. It also means the gunas, sattvic, sattvic, uh, rajasic, uh, and tamasic. All kinds of things refer to the three stripes. You're basically in control of that. And then you go to the nearby temple. You say, God, now I've sacrificed my service to you, and that's a yagna, mm -hmm. all of that. And then you distribute sweets to everybody else because you say, I'm on my way to being self-realized. Right. That's a yagna. Keep that in mind. The two things of importance here are what you sacrifice, your offering, the ahuti, and the kindling, which comes up, which says, I've accepted your offering. That's a yagna. Now, we go to verse 26. 
Verse 26 is the receipt of a stimulus or stimuli from the uh, world. Keep in mind that we talked in the beginning that we all have five organs of perception. We all know that, right? right? Yep. Sight, ears, hearing, smell, taste, and touch. Right. That really absorbed the stimuli from the world. Those of us who are not prone towards self-discipline or not on our way to trying to tame our senses are always looking for a sight to say, what do I see? What do I see? What do I see? Right. What do I hear? What do I smell? And those who are, as you start going to that route, you start to say, no, I'm going to shut these doorways down. So those are the five organs of perception, always looking for stimuli from the world. Right. And then there's five organs of action. So what happens, you perceive something. Let's say you have a desire and a weakness for sweets, mm -hmm. donuts. Yes. Like my grandson loves donuts. You know, every time we pass by Dunkin' Donuts, he says, Papi, can we go in there and get some donuts? <laughs> yep. Not the other grandson. He doesn't care. He could care less. You give him apples, he's much happier than donuts. Mm -hmm. But this child was born with that vasana, wanting donuts. So when you see a Dunkin' Donuts, when you see a donut, the mind's eye looks at it, smells it. Right. And it immediately goes into the mind. It registers in his mind to say, that's a donut. I remember that. I tasted it once before. It was delicious. Yeah. And then what happens is it gives it to the five organs of action. Arms, legs, voice box. And the other two that we talked about, those are not significant here, but the first right. two, arms, legs, and voice box are the three organs of action that are important in this to say, okay, I'm going to reach out for that donut. I'm going to grab it and bring it to my mouth. Right. Or I'm going to speak and say, Papi, can I have a donut? Or I'm going to walk towards that store and get myself. So there's three things that happened here. One was seeing the donut, second, recognizing that it is something that your mind and body likes, and third, is taking the action to go get it. As Swami Parthasarthi says, the three R's, the receipt of the stimulus, the reaction within one's mind, and the response by your organs of action. Now, the senses are the link between the mind and the world. It's the mind that's really the devil as most religions call the mind the devil, it's the mind that's the devil that is always looking to the world for these pleasures. And it's the five sense organs and the five organs of, of action that are the link between the mind and the world. Right. These are the doorways. So be careful, friends, what you put into those doorways, what you let in. Those doorways, we tend to keep them wide open Right. So all perceptions you're letting in. And then it's up to you to say, I, I wish I hadn't seen that. Now I want it. <laughs> yeah. But if you block those doorways and to some extent, sound, sight, smell, taste, touch, you are, you are helping yourself by keeping those doorways closed. So two things that you must keep in mind is that, number one, if you give as an offering, the ahuti, the butter that you put into the yagna, if you say, I'm going to donate, I'm going to sacrifice 
my five sense organs and any things that I see into that, right. then the kindling is the peace that you get from within, that you don't have this. So your sense organs cannot go forever with just willpower and say, I'm not going to look, I'm not going to look, I'm going to, you know, you like nice racy music, yep. sound of nice beat, but that actually stimulates you to have more rajasic feelings right. as opposed to a sound of peaceful, quiet music. But your mind says, I want that racy music. So, or the food, the spicy food, which produces more rajasic attitude versus bland food, right. which is more peaceful for you. So you have to continue to do something. So what it says is, instead of having stimuli that are going to be stimulating for you, you should give it good uh, stimuli, something sight, sound, um, all touch, taste, everything that is acceptable. Right. Just like you would watch what food you put into your system and say, I'm not going to put this. There's preservatives, there's chemicals in here. And you would be cautious about it. You have to be cautious about the things that you watch on TV or the Internet or what you listen to or those kind of stimuli, the better they are, the, the better you are. You know, when, when the Taliban and the Al-Qaeda first came on the scene, do you remember there were scenes on the Internet of people being beheaded yes. live? Yes. I never saw it. I, that was when I was first learning this. And I said, I don't want to. And yeah. everybody would say, oh, you know what? You could, you could see this on TV. Yeah. I said, I don't want to see it. Why would I want to see that? Right. Two physicians came to my office as a psychiatrist in the hospital. Two physicians came. Both of them said, you know, I saw that and now I can't sleep. Right. Yeah. Every night I have nightmares. I can't even go to sleep because I keep thinking of this, what happened. I don't even know. I didn't ask for a description. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to know what happened. But they said it was so traumatic to see this. So similarly... People watch horror movies, violent movies. Yeah. You're putting stuff into your system voluntarily that you don't want to put in there right. because it has an impact. So what he says is sacrifice your desire to watch these things. If something goes in, you just let it go off to a higher ideal. The other thing is things that you perceive that are good. Right. Things that you're sensing. Let's say you have a meal. Right. You, you have a meal that is really good. Now, friends, I know I'm spending a lot of time on this, but this is an important. These next 12 yagnas are very important. Each one of these, although I might be spending more time on it, it is very important for your development that you not only listen, but also think about it and apply it in your life. So please bear with me. Um, so that's why today we're only talking about the verse 25 and 26. There's all the way up to 30, but I'm just going over these two. You go out to a meal and you enjoy this meal. Mm -hmm. What Gita says is enjoy the meal and let it stop at right. the point that you finished your meal. While you're eating, before you eat, say, I'm eating this for the sake of functioning. Yep. Because my body needs food and I need to survive, so I'm going to eat this. As opposed to saying, oh, I can't wait to eat this. This is going to be so delicious. I can't wait. I've heard so much. That kind of thing makes you fall. 
Just eat it as and enjoy it. Nobody says Vedanta doesn't say you can't enjoy it. Vedanta says right. you can eat it, you can enjoy it, but don't linger. Right. Once you finish the restaurant you, and, and the meal and you leave the restaurant, don't keep thinking to yourself what a fantastic meal that was. Don't tell yeah. others about it. Don't talk about it because all that it does is it makes the desire keep going. Right. We're, we're back to the, um, in a way, we're back to the marshmallow experiment that we've talked about a lot, where the kids dealt with this by not looking at the marshmallow that they wanted to resist. Yes. For those, you want to continue with that, yeah. Lou, so uh, people remember, because they, they may not have heard that marshmallow experiment. You'll have more of the details, but there was an experiment where uh, these people talked to kids, these scientists talked to kids, and they said, you can have the marshmallow that's in front of you now. Or I'm going to leave the room. If you don't eat the marshmallow that's in front of you, when I come back, I'll give you two. And, of course, everyone would want two instead of one. But some kids couldn't resist eating the marshmallow in front of them. Some of them could to get the two. And more often than not, or in all the cases, doctor, uh, those children who were able to resist and get the second marshmallow did so by not looking at the marshmallow. They didn't engage the sense organs in what they desired. Good point. I'm glad you brought it up and reminded me of that experiment. Because yeah. if you look at the video, this person, the French person's psychologist that did this uh, experiment, had videos on these little kids that you could... And then he videoed them again in 20-plus years afterwards, right. when they were adults. Yep. And he showed that the people who, uh, 20 years later, were the ones who resisted the temptation to eat those mar marshmallows when they were little kids and got two instead were just as successful when they're in their 20s. Right. So what he said was, there's a certain inherent tendency within ourselves to not be able to resist our temptations and or to control our desires. Is that part of which, our prakriti? That's part of it. That's yeah. what he says. He yeah. says it's part of your prakriti that those of us, there were, there were three groups of those kids. One group, as soon as the guy had, turned his back and started walking out, they reached forward and put the bar. They, there was not a hesitation. Right. As soon as he turned his back, they would actually put the marshmallow in their mouth. Right. The second group said, I'm going to try. You could see them trying. They kept glancing at it, glancing away, glancing at it, glancing away, and then reach and put the marshmallow. That means they tried, but they right. didn't control their ability. And the third, right from the minute he said it, they turned their face and they looked elsewhere and they did not look at it until he came back. And you could see that they were having difficulty. Yeah. They were gritting their teeth and so on. Uh, the second so, group falls into your analogy about enjoying a meal but not lingering on it because what happens is you start thinking, oh, I can't wait to have that meal again. And then that thought starts to create a desire and a desire eventually says, I got to go to that restaurant and get that meal yeah. again. Yeah. And the worst part of it, you go back to that restaurant and it can never satisfy you the, first, the way the first one did. Right. You always exactly. say, ah, yeah. it's not as good as the first. Or you say it was good, but now I want another. So right. either way, you're lost. So, um, so we talked about verse 25 and verse 26. So I just be want to careful make sure. what you feed your, be careful what you feed your sense organs. Because yes. then your organs of action start to get involved, and that's a struggle. Right. Yeah. So I made notes for myself. I'm just going to read these out to you, mm -hmm. that all of these sense organs, organs of perception, organs of actions, are offered to the fire of restraint. Mm -hmm. The senses are the link between the mind and the world. 
The senses are the doorways. If you keep the doorways open, all kinds of stimuli enter. Right. Then those will destroy you inside you. Keep your eyes, keep your ears closed with control, which is willpower. Thus, you will purify your mind. Listen only to that which is good. See only that which is good. Say no to everything else. Mm. We are careful what we eat and what we put into our systems, but we should be equally careful about sound, sight, and thought. Yes. The senses need some indulgence, so give them positive and good stimuli in terms of sight, sound, and thought. Feed the senses with auspicious, positive, clean, good stimuli. Um, and don't linger in the enjoyment. If you do, you create more vasanas and desires. Right. If you don't linger, you're ending a perception with the actual perception. So that's the end of verse 26, friends. This is 25 and 26. You have a lot to look forward to <laughs> in verses 27, 28, 29, and 30. And I'm excited for you as I'm, I was excited for myself when I first heard it. It's an excellent start. I'm looking forward to this. Thank you, Lou. You always encourage me. <laughs> All right, and we'll see. Uh, head on over to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. Look for the Gita Memoirs of a Psychiatrist. If you're listening to our podcasts, head on over to our Facebook page, the Gita Memoirs of a Psychiatrist. Leave a comment for us, and let's start a discussion. Thank you all. Bye-bye.